0: Second Samuel 5, let's look at the first five verses in our introduction this evening. Let's stand if you're so able, able to do so. Second um, Samuel 5, we're going to read from verse 1 down through verse 5. The Bible says, Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron, and spake, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, thou wast he that let, us uh, out and broughtest in Israel. And the Lord said to thee, Thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king to Hebron, and King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was thirty years old when he began to reign, and he reigned forty years in Hebron. He reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem. He reigned 30 and 3 years over all Israel and Judah. So here we see David going from being just king of Judah to now king of the entire country. We skipped chapters 3 and 4 for the sake of our series on the life of David because they cover a gruesome, brutal civil war that took place between Judah and the other tribes, between Abner and Joab. I did a lot of reading on that and studying it. If you enjoy a good... War drama, boy, read chapters 3 and 4. There's some good stuff in there. One guy's as fast as a wild deer, the Bible says, and uh, he ends up dying, chasing down Abner. Anyway, lots of good stuff. I don't want to ruin it for you. I'll let you go back and look at that. Our focus is on the life of David, and David is more of a uh, role player in those chapters than the main character, and so we've skipped ahead to chapter 5. And we're looking at David. He here is inheriting the throne of all of Israel. The title of the message this evening is this, In God's Perfect Time. In God's Perfect Time. Good things come to us when we wait on God's timing. God's timing is so vital. We're going to look at that tonight and talk about in God's perfect time. Lord, help us tonight. Help us to take the truths that will be shared and make them applicable in each and every one of our lives. Lord, it is impossible for me to know how this sermon is needed in each person's life. It's impossible for me to tailor the sermon to each person. But Spirit of God, that's where you step in and uh, Lord, you go to work. Lord, help us to make this practical and applicable, uh, Lord, in the way it's preached. But Spirit of God, we need your help. And so, God, help us tonight to have hearts that are tender and ready to receive Your Word. Lord, us waiting on You and being patient for You can be very difficult sometimes, but oh, how vital it is. Help us as we emphasize that tonight to see where we can better improve in in this area in our life. Help us to trust Your timing. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, in a moment, we're going to do a, a mini Bible study in the introduction as we do uh, occasionally. And so um, as I'm making my introductory remarks, you can hold your place in 2 Samuel 5 and help us by turning over to Psalm 27. Psalm 27 and just hold your place and we'll be uh, looking at some verses beginning in Psalm 27 here shortly. Uh, There are many commentaries written about the life of David and many preachers have preached sermons about the life of David and uh, the directions that you can take this uh, or, or, or directions that has been taken, taken are uh, 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 very many, very different, uh, very different views and very different perspectives, and very uh, many different applications. One such way that some folks preach through the Bible and write their commentaries is to note every single time a parallel between an individual or a situation and Jesus occurs. And the life of David is filled with comparisons with the life of Christ. I have avoided sharing those in here for the most part in this series. We've been looking at a a little bit different application. But let me point out to you in in, in the introduction one such parallel between David and Jesus. You see, Jesus knew at a very young age, likely a teenager, possibly prior, Jesus knew that he was anointed, the anointed Messiah. He knew it was him that was the chosen one, the one sent uh, uh, before the foundation of the world, selected to be born through the womb of Mary and to die for the sins of the world. Jesus knew at a young age, but waited until he was 30 to begin his earthly ministry. Likewise, David knew when he was a teenager that he was anointed to be Israel's next king, but endured much grief and struggle To get there. Likewise, David was 30 years old when he began to reign. Jesus, 30, when he began his earthly ministry. David, 30, when he began... Both knew in their uh, childhood years that uh, they had been anointed for something very special. So, from the time of a young man, both of David and, and the Lord Jesus had to wait until the time was right for the perfect time, God's perfect time, for their ministry publicly to begin. Now, waiting is a difficult thing to do. Difficult thing to do. Especially when we know what the future is supposed to hold. But let me just say this, and I'd write this down if you're taking notes tonight. Waiting is an important part of trusting. Waiting is an important part of trusting. You see, you cannot say that you trust God if you are not willing to wait on God. Waiting on God is a vital part of proof that you do genuinely trust the heart of God. Of God, David, uh, rather, uh, when God says, wait, we must trust the heart of God and the mind of God. We must trust the heart of God and the mind of God. Why? His timing is perfect. His timing is best. His timing is perfect. His timing is best. David learned this lesson all throughout his life. He would write about it over and over again. And then live it out all throughout his adult life. David highlighted the value of waiting and trusting by waiting all throughout the book of Psalm. Let me just give you a few examples. Look at Psalm 27 and look at verse number 14. Psalm 27, look at verse number 14. The Bible says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. David emphasizes it twice in the same verse, be of good courage, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, He shall strengthen thine heart. You're discouraged, you're downtrodden, uh, you're, you're distressed, uh, you're in a bad place emotionally. David says, just hang on and sit still and wait on the Lord. And let that time uh, uh God restore you, wait on the Lord. Turn over to Psalm 37 and look at verse number 7. Psalm 37. And verse 7, again, I'm only giving you a small sample size because of time, of all the uh, uh, all of the times in Scripture we're told to wait on the Lord. David, Psalm 37, verse 7, he said, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not thyself because of Him who prospereth in His way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. David says, Rest in the Lord. Just Quit running around like a chicken with your head cut off. Anybody here ever seen a chicken run around with its head cut off? Yes. All right. A few of you have. All right. I've, I've just seen in Looney Tunes when I was a kid, chicken with its... Anyway, uh, I've never actually seen... I'm a city boy more than I'm a country boy. but I, I, So I've never actually seen that. But don't be like that. Amen? Yes. When uh, times are tough and you don't know what to do and you're just rattled and you're trying to take matters into your own hand, uh, stop and rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. He knows what is best. Look down at verse 34. Psalm 37. Look down at verse 34. It says there, Wait on the Lord. Now, what, what are you supposed to do while you wait? It says right here, Wait on the Lord and keep His way. And He shall exalt thee, To inherit the land, when the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. What am I supposed to do while I wait? I'm supposed to do the work of God that He's assigned me to do while I wait on God to step in and do what I can't. We are to wait on the Lord. Wait. Uh, Wait for His timing. He knows the right timing. One more here. Look at Psalm chapter 40 and look at verse number 1. David is not just... Uh, uh, just preaching some theory he had never lived david as we'll see had put that to practice psalm 40 verse 1 david said i waited patiently for the lord and he inclined unto me and heard my cry david said i called out to god and he didn't give me the attention i wanted the first time and so i cried out again and again and again and in god's timing he heard me and He answered my prayer. Uh, he answered my cry. I waited on the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He got to me. Have you ever wondered why God doesn't just reveal to you now what He has for store, uh, for uh, what He has in store for your future? Wouldn't it be nice if you could just uh, sit down with God and have God tell you everything that your future awaits from now till your death date? Now all as I say that, some of you might think, oh, I would love that. Others of you are like, "Ah, no, I'm good. All right. Um, And I get both views. But imagine if you could know what your next car was going to be, what your next job was going to be. To those of you that are single here uh, this evening, who your future spouse is, wouldn't it be great to know who that person is and where they are and what they're doing? Uh, Wouldn't it be great to know how many children you'll have? Maybe you're uh, newly wed you don't have any kids or you're in the process of having kids, Maybe wouldn't you like to be able to look down the road and know, well, we're going to have three kids or two kids or five kids. It would be great to know these things. Um, uh, where you will work if you're unemployed, uh, the mountaintops and the valleys that await you. Pastor Andrew is doing a life group on mountaintops and valleys, the mountains and valleys of life. Wouldn't it be great to know what the next one up for you is? I look back over my uh, adult life and I can see uh, times like this and times like this and times like this and times like this and you're walking along in a plateau and things seem to be just fine and all of a sudden, boom! You just feel like you got picked up and thrown down into the valley. I mean, out of nowhere. It just sort of blindsides you. You're going along one day, and the next thing you know, hardship hits. And it comes out of nowhere. And you wonder how this could happen, and where did this come from? And then other times you're going along, and boy, you, you, your boss calls you in. and How many of you, when your boss calls your boss says, I, meet me in my office. Your, your legs begin to tremble a little bit, and you think, what did I do? Oh, man. Uh, did he? D- does he know? Am I caught? Especially how it's phrased, right? You get a text from your boss, come to my office right now. Is this a, am I in trouble? And you get in, he sits you down, he looks at you real serious and he says, I'm giving you a 20% raise on your pay. <laughs> my staff is all amending right now. Um, I can't give them a raise if y'all don't give. So start giving and I'll give them a raise. Amen. Uh, but, uh, uh, so uh, we, uh, we, we love those kinds of conversations, don't we? You're walking along and life is okay and all of a sudden life just got a whole lot better. Maybe you're here and you got married children and they haven't, had, haven't given any grandkids yet and you get that call. Uh, you are going to be a grandparent oh man that is so excited and, and, and listen if we could know what the future holds as far as whether the future is a mountaintop or a valley in, 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 the, in the foreseeable future maybe that would be something we would want uh, maybe you would like to know how your children are going to turn out if i had the ability to see into the future and know one thing i would love to know in 15 years uh, where matthew is in life and where april is in life boy that would be fantastic to get to know those things maybe you just want to know uh, uh, what your next career move would be. Listen, many of these things, and and given where you are in life, uh, would be great if God just sat you down and said, here is what the future holds for you, and here is what you can expect. Uh, truth is that God knows all these details. He knows your tomorrows. He knows the good times and the bad. He knows the happiness and the sorrow. He knows the joy and laughter and the tears. And He knows all of it. He knows your future relationships. He knows the outcome of your current relationships. God knows all of it right now. But He doesn't tell us. He doesn't tell us because He knows that knowledge would oftentimes harm us. He doesn't tell us Because if he did, then we wouldn't have a reason to trust him. If we somehow could know that, then where does faith play a factor? Where would faith faith play a factor? Here's how God works, in my experience. I think you can see this pattern in scripture. God likes to wait until the very last minute to make you sweat it out. And when you think that it's just not going to be able to happen, you just think... Man, I have expended every resource I have, and this just can't work. All of a sudden, the last minute, boom, the Lord comes through. And God says, I had it all along. Why didn't you trust me? And you say, yeah, I knew you. God, I knew you had that. What was I worried about? I knew you had it. And the Lord uses these things to test our faith. David had waited 10 to 15 years from the time that Samuel had anointed him to be king, his life had been filled with ups and downs and twists and turns. He almost died several times and uh, had both gotten it very, very right and at other times gotten it very, very, very wrong. Likewise, Israel had got it wrong. Now, I uh, uh, this dawned on me as I was putting this particular message together. Um, I, listen, I think all of us have known, that know the Bible well, Saul was never in God's perfect will was never supposed to be the king. Saul should have never been king of Israel. Saul was king of Israel because the Israelites could not wait on God's perfect timing. They went to uh, Samuel and said, We don't like your children. We don't want them to rule over us because they lack integrity. And so we want you to give us a king right now. And Samuel was grieved by this. And God said, Well, you know, it's not my timing, but it's what they want. And so I'm going to give it to them. And look at all the heartache and hurt they had to endure because they wanted the right thing at the wrong time. They wanted what they were supposed to have too early. Well, let that settle in for a minute. That's the problem is wanting right at the wrong time. Now, if Israel had been patient and just... This is what dawned on me this week. If Israel had just been patient and waited, did you know that David most likely would have been made king at the death of Samuel. That just happened a few years prior to David being made king in Hebron. God was preparing David all along, but instead they had to go through this horror and this struggle of Saul being king when they could have just waited it out and God would have made David their king. And that whole nightmare of Saul being king could have been avoided. Could have been avoided. Why? Because God's timing is perfect. Our timing is often off. God wants us to trust Him, trust that He knows what is best for each of us, trust that He never gets it wrong, trust that if we stick to His plan and His timing, that He will bring about great good to us and great good through us. So let's look at three thoughts, three truths out of Second Samuel five as we consider this top topic, this title, in God's perfect time. Point number one is the word anointing. Anointing. Look back with me at 2 Samuel chapter 5, and let's look at verse number 3. 2 Samuel 5 and verse 3. The Bible says, So all the elders of Israel came to the king, to Hebron, and King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David King over Israel. They anointed David king over Israel. Now, this was the third time that David in Scripture has now been anointed. The first time he was anointed by Samuel as just a young man, a boy. The second time was seven and a half years prior to this, back in chapter 2. He was anointed by the elders of Judah uh, to be the king of Judah. And now the third time... Here in this passage, we see all the elders of Israel coming in to anoint him. By the way, if you were to take the time and go over to 1 Chronicles and read about this account in 1 Chronicles, it gives a list of all of the soldiers that were ready for war of each tribe that were giving their loyalty to serve David and fight for David as the king. And it numbered well over 350,000 soldiers strong that were ready to go to war for David. David had waited on God's timing. He had not pressed the issue. And because of this, now David is ready to be king. Notice letter A, David's experience. David's experience. Back up with me to verse number one of second Samuel five. The Bible says, Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron and spake saying, Behold, we are thy bone and flesh. Also in time past when Saul was king over look here, thou wast he that lettest out and broughtest in Israel and the Lord said to thee, David had experienced being the leader. He was now a skilled warrior. He had endured hardships. He was no novice to the role. He was no novice to the role. He had been battle tested and had been proven that he was a leader of men. Uh when I uh, when I was uh, a young man, I was just graduating Bible College, 22 years old, and I had grown up in the home of an assistant pastor and been around church ministry my whole life. I finished Bible College at 22, and I had enough self-awareness to step back and go While God has called me to be a senior pastor, I am not experienced enough yet." to go out and be a senior pastor. The truth is I could have gone and taken out, taken on a church and I could have made a whole bunch of mistakes and probably what would have happened is I would have bounced around like a ping pong ball to several different ministries, being a senior pastor, making mistakes and learning along the way. Instead, I said, no, I need to gain experience in doing this before God puts me in that role. And so I served in a handful of ministries as an assistant pastor, being taught and trained and groomed And prepared uh, for the role. David very much did the same thing. Uh, Back in 1 Samuel 18, David is brought in by Saul. He's just killed Goliath, and he's put over a sect of the military under, let's see, under Abner. He's sent out under Saul and Abner to lead the army to and from war. David is growing in skill. He's getting experience. Then David is exiled by Saul and he gathers to himself 600 men. He leads these men. He trains these men. Uh, They follow him. He gets some sense of governance and how to uh, operate and lead. And then he's brought into Ebron. And there he rules over one tribe of Israel for seven and a half years. He's learning. He's growing. He's becoming experienced. And then God is now handing to him the keys to the kingdom of Israel and saying now David it's time now David it's time my friend let me just say to you this evening that God wants to grow you in experience oftentimes before he just gives you that thing that you want I think about teenagers who are given the keys to a a Mercedes at 16 years old 16 years old and listen you need to get the experience of how to drive a beater before you're given the keys to a nice car. Amen? Amen. Uh, young men, young women who are given a, a chief executive uh, office position at, at 20, 22, 23, 25 years old. And Listen, some folks are that talented and that able. I've seen it work, but more often than not, when you're that young and that you're not experienced, you're that inexperienced, you're going to hurt yourself, you're going to hurt others, and you're going to fall flat on your face. Listen, uh, trust the process. Trust the process. God knows what He's doing. Allow those experiences that God brings in your life to prepare you. Prepare you. Someone would counter-argue this and say, well, I don't need uh, uh, experience because I'm not leaning on my own understanding. I'm leaning on the Lord, uh, and I'm leaning on the Spirit of the Lord to lead me. And I can do that at 22, 23, just as I can do at 32, 33, 42, 43. And while I understand that, and while I will not argue against that, I will say this. At 22 and 23, most of us don't have enough emotional compassion toward others to genuinely help them, to genuinely care. Most of us are so cut and dry and and, and so cold in our approach, we lack the emotional growth to really genuinely help others. My experiences in ministry, while they have showed me ways to do and not do things, and while I have to be careful not to lean on those instead of the Lord and and leaning on the Lord's understanding, what I have gleaned from my experience is That I need to be more patient and careful with people. I need to be more kind and compassionate with others. And if you allow God to grow you through experiences, then my friend, your capacity to love others will uh, will greatly grow and be multiplied. We see letter A, David's experience. Letter B, notice David's essence. David's essence. And what I just got through saying plays right into letter B here. Look at verse number 2. We're going to finish out the verse. It says that in times past, when Saul was king over us, thou wast he that led us out and brought us in Israel. And the Lord said to thee, "Look here, thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over Israel." Uh, listen, uh, David did not only have uh, the tactical ability to lead. David had a heart that was that that cared. For others. David had a heart of compassion where he could feed the flock of God. He could feed the nation of Israel like a shepherd. Saul did what most politicians do. Saul served his own interest first, and then the interest of the country second. By the way, isn't that what almost all of our politicians do today? Their their pockets are lined with money from Bureaucrats, whether that's in Hartford or D.C., uh, lobbyists are in their pockets telling them how to vote. Why? Because their own... It, listen, it just... I don't want to chase this rabbit too far. It just amazes me how someone can go be a public servant uh, receiving such a small income and end up becoming a multimillionaire. How's that happen? How are you becoming filthy rich and owning properties all over the world and all over America when you're making at a, an upper middle class income. Uh, I'll tell you why. Because they're serving their own interests before they're serving the interests of the people. And that's exactly what Saul was. He was your typical corrupt politician. He was getting his own interest taken care of before uh, Israel's interest. And David was to be the opposite of that. David was to look out for what was best for the people before he looked out what was best for himself. Now, David was not perfect, and over the next several weeks, we're going to highlight some of David's shortcomings. In fact, we're even going to do that this evening here a little bit deeper into the message. But, uh, but David, all in all, had a heart that wanted to lead people. Now, I find it interesting that some of the best biblical leaders were at one point shepherds that led sheep. I mean, physical. I'm not speaking metaphorically here, literally, led sheep. All right? Uh, Abraham was a shepherd. Jacob. Was a shepherd, Moses was taken from the, the the palace in Egypt, sent into the wilderness to tend to sheep, and God had to retrain Moses with sheep before he could bring him back into Israel to lead the people. Moses was a shepherd, David was a shepherd, Amos the prophet was a shepherd, and we know that Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd who giveth his life. For the sheep, shepherds are more devoted to the care of the animals than they are to their own well-being. Shepherds, if you're part of that ministry that involves the word shepherd, if you are, you know who I'm talking to. Make sure you're listening to what I say right here. Shepherds are willing to suffer in the elements uh, for their sheep. Shepherds learn the name of their sheep and know their personalities, know their troubles, know their struggles, and know how to help them. Shepherds are known by their sheep. Uh, the Bible, Jesus uses this example, and he talks about a hireling can, can call out and the sheep won't follow. But sheep know the voice of the shepherd, John 10 tells us, and follow the shepherd. Why? Because those sheep are convinced beyond all reasonable doubt that that person who calls them she- calls himself shepherd genuinely loves them and cares for them. Genuinely loves them and cares for them. David was not a great king because he knew how to administrate great power. He did know how to do that. But David was not known to be a great king because of his administration ability, administrative abilities. David was a great king because he genuinely loved those under his watch care. David's essence. I remember years ago when I worked in a different ministry we had a man who was an incredible Bible teacher. Just could take the Bible and and just mesmerize you for, you know, I I would sit through a a Sunday school class of his that lasted 45 minutes and it would feel like 10 minutes, feel like five minutes. And, And he just was so good with the Scriptures. But he was highly impersonal. And I can remember Pastor King saying to him and others in a meeting, listen, If you're a great teacher, but you don't know how to connect with people outside of the classroom, no one's going to attend your class. You can be an average teacher and convince people that you care about them outside of the classroom, and you will fill a room. And sure enough, this gentleman would get up and teach, and me and about three or four others would listen to him, because we... Needed the, we enjoyed the homiletics side. We enjoyed the hermeneutic side of his preparation. And, and, and we enjoyed how he could articulate things. But, you know, some of the biggest classes in that church had people who were not anywhere near as good in, in, from a teaching standpoint but could convince other people that they cared for them. David's essence, he was a shepherd before he was a king. He cared for people the way a shepherd cares for sheep. That's why God elevated him. Do you know that God had to teach David how to love people before David could lead people? And that's so important is that you learn how to love before you assume a, a, a role of leadership. David's essence. Letter C, notice, David elevated. David elevated. Look at verse 3, 2 Samuel 5. So all the elders of Israel came to the king to Hebron, and King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David King over Israel. That would have been David getting down on a knee, and oil being poured over his head, and hands being laid on him, and a prayer of dedication given. David, the Bible says, in verse four, was thirty years old when he began to reign, and he reigned forty years. In Hebron he reigned over Judah uh, seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem he reigned thirty and three years over all Israel and Judah. So Thirty-three and a half years, he ruled over all uh, Jerusalem and Judah, and Jesus walked Jerusalem and Judah for thirty-three and a half years. I find that interesting as well. Uh, Many a night, David must have laid in a field alone, watching his sheep, waiting for the day to come when he would be king. He was waiting. Many a night, David slept in the palace with the politics of King Saul swirling in his head, wondering if the king would try and kill him trying to figure out if he would stay alive long enough to be king, David waited on God's timing. Many a day, David wandered about the the wilderness, hiding in caves and living off the land. He was a fugitive of the law. He would even uh, move into enemy territory where he would be safer than he was in his own country. David waited on the Lord. David waited on God's timing. David did not force the issue. He waited on the Lord. David did not kill Saul when given the chance. He waited on the Lord. David did not demand that all of Israel make him king right after Saul's death. He first accepted Judah when they came to him. He was king there for seven years. And and then he did not kill Ishbosheth, Saul's son. Instead, he waited on the Lord to exalt him in God's Time, in due time. It was God's timing and not His own timing. Nothing could be sweeter than getting God's will for our life in God's timing. In God's timing. Sometimes to be romantic, when I'm talking to Angela, I'll say to her, the only thing I would change about our love story is I would have found you sooner. I would have found you sooner. And that's just meant to be real sweet. But can I tell you the truth? And this is is the honest truth. If I had found her sooner, we may not be together now. God brought us together in God's perfect time. God was working on me to get me ready for her. God was working on her because He knew what a mess I was getting her ready for me. And uh, God was preparing us and He brought us together for such a time as this. And and listen, uh, uh, you may want this, or you may want that. And it may be God's will, but you must understand that God will elevate you when the time is right. Do not force the issue. Someone worded it this way. God knows your address and your phone number. He'll come get you when He's ready. Amen? He'll come get you when He's ready. Number one, anointing. Number two, alliances. alliances. Now that David was king over all Israel, let's look at the alliances that he quickly made. First, David needed to establish a new capital for Israel, so he picked the Jebusite city of Jerusalem to be uh, the place. God had promised this land to Abraham, but the Israelites had never taken it to be theirs. Letter A, notice David's conquest Of Jerusalem David's conquest of Jerusalem look at second Samuel 5 and look at verse 6 we're going to read down through verse number 10 the Bible says in the king and his men went to Jerusalem under the Jebusites the inhabitants of the land which spake unto David saying except thou take away the blind and the lame thou shalt not come in hither thinking David cannot come in hither nevertheless David took the stronghold of Zion the same is the city of David and David said on that day "...whosoever getteth up the gutter..." Notice that. We're going to come back to that in a moment. "...whosoever getteth up the gutter, and smiteth the Jebusites, and the lame and the blind, that are hated of David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Wherefore they said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. So David dwelt in the fort, and called it the city of David. And David built round about from Milo, and inward. And David went on, and grew great." And the Lord God of hosts was with him. So if you look at Jerusalem, and this would have been the case even in David's time, it was, uh, there were natural land barriers on three sides that would have kept anyone from invading. There was only really one way to get into Jerusalem. And uh, the Jebusites were so confident that Jerusalem could not be conquered that they said, listen, we can put an army of, of lame, blind, halt people and you still won't be able to take it. That's how naturally defended the city is. And David said, oh, the city can be overtaken. He said, use the gutters. Use the water duct system. And then he gave this challenge. He said, whoever can climb up that gutter, climb up that water duct system, and get in the city and conquer it, I will make him my captain. Now, the Bible in this chapter doesn't say, but we surmise and from 1 Chronicles understand uh, and just from reading throughout the rest of the book we understand that Joab was the one who climbed up the gutter through the water duct system and got into the city and completely took over the city and and turned it over to David. And uh, much talk about here layman blind. These were uh, props being put out to try to keep David from coming in and, and David uh, was able to take over Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was always God's will. In fact, there uh, I'm not going to take the time to do it this evening. You can do it on your own. There are a whole lot of verses throughout Psalm, throughout the rest of the Bible, that highlight the beauty of Zion and the importance that Jerusalem was always supposed to play in being part of the Israeli story, the Israeli, uh, the, the the Israeli uh, part of history, where Jesus would one day sit and rule from Jerusalem. And so uh, Jesus was to reign from there. David was to reign from there. It would be called, in short order, the City of David, and one day Jesus will sit on the throne in the city of David and rule. So we see first David's conquest of Jerusalem. Let's move on and look at letter B and notice David's coalition with Tyre. David's coalition with Tyre. Look at verse number 11 and 12. Verse 11 and 12. The Bible says, "In Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David, and cedar trees, and carpenters, and masons, and they built David an house. And David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. God's hand of blessing was on David. It was clear that he was a great leader. It was clear that it was his time to take Israel forward. David was a man with quite a reputation of being a warrior. Hiram, who was king of Tyre, decided that he wanted to be on David's good side. And I think that was a good move by Hiram. Hiram said, look, let's make peace with David. I'm going to take masons and carpenters and, and 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 wood, and I'm going to send that into Jerusalem, and I'm going to build David a house. You want to get on someone's good side, build them a house. In today's terms, that would be pay off their mortgage. Amen? If you had someone approach you tonight after church and touch you on the arm and say, Hey, uh, what do you owe on your mortgage? I'm going to pay that off for you. I think it'd probably be on your good side. Amen? It'd be on your good side. Even if they weren't on your good side before church, if they paid off your mortgage, they'd probably be on your good side. You say, well, my mortgage is paid off. They paid your property taxes for the next 10 years. Amen? Amen? They'd be on your good side, wouldn't they? Regardless of where they stood before, they'd be on your good side. And so Hiram comes along, and listen, if you read through the history of where Tyre is and and their their their, their trading routes and all that, uh, he, he needed to be on David's good side so he could continue to trade. And I'm sure this was a political decision for Hiram to do this, uh, but all the same, Hiram respected David enough to build him a house. And you know what uh, David did? David looked at this house being built. And he looked up toward heaven and he said, "This is God blessing me because I waited on His timing. I waited on His timing. All throughout, and not to share my own anecdotes, but because I'm the preacher, I only have my own uh, scope of life uh, to see through and share. But all throughout uh, that time of graduating college until I became the pastor of White Oak Baptist, uh, we there were there were ups and downs, there were ebbs and flows, and There were times where I wondered if God was ever going to actually let me pastor. I remember in 2013, I uh, put my name in at a church out in Lockport, Illinois, and I candidated to be the pastor. First, I had my hopes up that God was going to let me pastor the Granite Baptist Church in Glen Burnie, Maryland, a large church. And I got my hopes up there, and I, I, I didn't tip my hand and tell everyone I had my hopes up, but now that... Were years removed. I can share this with the church here. My hopes were high that I would be given the reins to that church and be able to pastor a church of nearly 800 people on a Sunday morning. And I was the assistant pastor there, and 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 the pastor uh, leaving, outgoing pastor wanted me uh, to take that on, and 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 I had my hopes high, and, and but it wasn't God's time. It just it just wasn't God's time, and so that was 2012, and then 2013, I still had the itch to pastor, so I put my name out uh, and began to look for a church to pastor and a church grace baptist church in lockport illinois contacted me and i went all the way through the candidate process and all the way through my wife and i my kids uh, we we flew out to illinois and uh, matthew and april were still in car seats at the time and uh, uh, probably about the age of uh, brother kyle and miss autumn's too. That was about the age of our kids, and thinking that this was the church, and getting excited to pastor that church only to be voted down and not be selected and, and then on the hills of that, be thrown out of church ministry altogether and and, and learning to just trust. The heart of God and the timing of God. And then uh, I remember when we were voted in here to be the pastor uh, of White Oak Baptist. I was sitting in my office at the, the church there in Maryland. And we got the call uh, from Pastor Peslack. And we were told that uh, we had been uh, voted in to be the pastor. I think 93, 94% was the vote. I just sat at my desk there in uh, my office and I just wept. Because this was God's timing and not my timing. This was God's timing and not my timing. I wanted it earlier. I wanted it sooner. But God's timing is always best. God's timing is always best. Uh, We moved up here and moved into a rental, and that's a whole story in and of itself, and lived in a, a, a nice home in West Haven. Uh, For a year, God gave us good landlords and we enjoyed that place, but had never bought our own home. Had been married many years and wanted to buy, but it was never God's timing to buy. And then God opened the doors for us to buy the home there in uh, Beacon Falls where we lived for four years. Our first home purchase. Oh, we enjoyed that home, but we enjoyed it so much more because it was God's timing. It was God's timing. It was not force. We didn't put ourselves in a bad financial place to do it. We were able to afford it, and then now God's opened the door for us to live right here next door to the church. And I go out on my back porch on a daily basis and I'll sit out there with a cup of coffee or uh, with a cup of water or, uh, or, or sweet tea because I'm a southern boy and I like my sweet tea. And I'll look out at the river behind and the cool breeze coming across the porch back there. Occasionally, I'll, tears will well up in my eyes because God's timing is best. It's best. When, when you want it ahead of time and you don't get it, your heart hurts. But when you trust the heart of God and you wait on God, then God sends people along your path that will show you great blessing. And I I now can see how God's blessing comes on the life of those who wait. And David did a great job of following God's plan, except in one area. David makes one fatal flaw very, very early on in his uh, in his life, in his adult life. And he ignores the law in Deuteronomy that laid out for him how he was to abide when it came to his relationship with women. Let's look at letter C, and we'll see David's concubines and wives. David's concubines and wives. Look with me at verse 13 of Second Samuel 5. And David took him more concubines and wives out of Jerusalem after he was come from Hebron. And there were yet sons and daughters born to David. And these be the names of those that were born unto him in Jerusalem, Shemua and Shobab and Nathan and Solomon. This is a different Solomon. Ibhar also and Elishua, Nephig and Japhia and uh, Elishma and Eli- Eliada and El- Eliphallet. David had many wives and concubines. At, the, at that time... It was a common practice among royals, but it had been strictly prohibited by God. Turn over to Deuteronomy 17 and verse 17. Deuteronomy 17, God told Moses, write this down. This is the law for how a king is to abide when one day I give you a king. Deuteronomy 17 would have been known by David, he would have known of it, he would have uh, no doubt read it and studied it, maybe even had it memorized, but when it came to Deuteronomy 17 and the 17th verse in our Bible, David completely neglected it. Look at verse 17, the Bible says, "...neither shall he multiply wives," speaking of the future king, "...neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away." neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. So he was not to be focused on wealth or women. He was not to be focused on these things. David was supposed to be a one-woman man. And David was not a one-woman man. In fact, there are four places in First and Second Samuel or First and Second Chronicles that lay out for us four different times where he had a multitude of children by a multitude of wives and uh, what great harm and hurt it did to him Uh, david's downfall was women that was david's downfall now not that there's anything wrong with you women but there is something wrong when a man is married to multiple women and david handed this legacy down to solomon who would take it to an even deeper extreme 700 wives solomon would have 300 concubines and what was a concubine? A woman just there for a man's pleasure. That's all she was. was her only purpose in life. And that's disgusting, and it's wrong, but that's just the reality of the culture of that day. A thousand women, and the joke I heard growing up is that's a lot of pair of pantyhose hanging over the shower. Um, a thousand wives, a thousand women. D- David did not have that many, but if you go through count, David had a lot of wives. And David would have a lot of children with those wives. He would have uh, Absalom and, and Tamar, brother and sister from one wife. And then he would have Amnon with another. And Uh, Amnon would end up raping Tamar and then Absalom would end up killing Amnon and then Absalom would end up overthrowing the kingdom and then Absalom would end up being killed because of his overthrowing of the kingdom and this would cause David great hurt. David, if you had just picked one woman and stuck with her and been loyal to her and loved her the rest of your life, you would have avoided a whole lot of heartache. David, you got it wrong and you got it wrong Big time here. Why did David marry some of these women? Well, it wasn't always just sexual lust. Sometimes David married these women because it was politically expedient. Take, for instance, Absalom's mother, uh, Makkah. She was the daughter of Talmi, king of uh, Geshur. So David married um, uh, Maka in part to create an alliance with the nation of Geshur. Geshur was not going to invade Israel as long as their princess was living in David's palace, and so this created a, a, a permanent truce between the countries. David is relying on human reason for protection instead of God's hand. Of protection, So we see anointing. We see alliances, some good and some bad. Number three, and lastly, notice the word assurance. Assurance. Let me give you an A and a B here, and we'll be done. Letter A, notice David's tactical ability. David's tactical ability. Look at verse 17 of 2 Samuel 5. Let's end the sermon on a spiritually high note here. The Bible says, "...but when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, and all the Philistines came up to seek David... And David heard of it and went down to the hold. The Philistines also came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephium. Now, this probably, the way the, book, the, way the chapter is, is laid out, in, in, in the order it's laid out, you would get the idea that maybe this took place after David had his palace built and had conquered Jerusalem. However, there are a couple of cues here in verse 17 that maybe would indicate this happened right after David was anointed. Look back at Verse 17. But when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel. Now, Ziklag, which was in Philistia, was only twenty five miles from Hebron. So when did they hear? I'm sure they heard quickly. Countries had spies all over the place. I'm sure word got back within a day or two that David had become king. And so shortly after David becomes king, and probably before they conquered Jerusalem, uh, here they are in the midst of a battle with Philistia. Now, why did not Philistia attack David when he was king over Judah? I think maybe they thought David is still our friend. We gave him a place to live. We gave him a landing place uh, while Saul chased him, and so... Things are probably good between us, but when David was made king over all Israel, there was no question anymore where David's loyalty lied. Look down at verse number 19. And David, and if you don't have this underlined in the Bible, the first part of this verse, I'd encourage you to do so. The Bible says, and David inquired of the Lord. Over and over and over again in First and Second Samuel, we find that phrase, and David inquired of the Lord saying, here's, here's what David uh, prays to the Lord. He says, Shall I go up to the Philistines? And wilt thou deliver them into mine hand? Notice where David's trust is. And the Lord said unto David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into thine hand. And David came to Baal, and David smote them there, and said, The Lord hath broken forth upon mine enemies before me as the breach of waters. Notice David is not taking the credit. David is giving God the credit. Therefore, he called the name of that place, Baal Perizim. And they left uh, their images. And David and his men burned them. So David did not take the idols uh, from uh, the Philistines and worship them. David burned them. He burned them. David's tactical ability. Now, here's what I want to draw from this quickly before we finish out the sermon with letter B. Was David tactically capable of going in and wiping out the Israelites without praying and talking to the Lord. Some would argue, yes, yes, David had gone and whipped the Philistines many, many times. But David here is not relying on his own strength or his own experiences. David is relying on the Lord. He prays and says, the Philistines are attacking, what should I do? Should I go down and fight them? And God says, yes, David, use the abilities that I've given you and go down and put it to them. And David did. David used his abilities once he had a green light from the Lord. David prayed first. What What is the assurance here? The assurance is that when we get permission from God to move forward in His timing and in His way, then we know we are guaranteed to succeed in the will of God. In the will of God. To go back to the example I gave of, of earlier, do you know that in 2013, I knew how to preach a sermon? Did you know in 2013 I knew how to counsel broken people? Did you know that in 2013 I was capable of pastoring a church, but it wasn't God's time? It wasn't God's time. It wasn't about my ability, it was about God's timing. About God's timing. God needed to do some more things to me to emotionally prepare me to pastor before He put me in that spot. You sit here and say, well, well, I can so I should. No, no, no. You can so you should pray. You can so you should stop and pray and ask if that's what God wants for you. Because as we'll see in a moment, God doesn't always answer uh, every prayer in every situation the same way. Because we're going to see twice in the same chapter the Philistines attack and God instructs David differently the second time. We see David's Tactical ability, but David still trusts. Let her be noticed, David's trust in God above. David's trust in God above. Look at chapter 5 and look at verse 22. And we see this time, God instructs David differently. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, Thou shalt not go up, but fetch a compass behind them "...and come upon them over against the mulberry trees." This is going to be very unconventional, what God tells them to do. "...and let it be, when thou hearest the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees, that then thou shalt bestir thyself, for then shall the Lord go out before thee to smite the host of the Philistines." And David did so, as the Lord had commanded him, and smote the Philistines. Who smote the Philistines? The Lord did. From Geba uh, until thou come to uh, Gezer. Now, by the way, from Geba to Gezer is the ground that Saul lost in the battle to the Philistines. Seven and a half years this land had been under Philistia rule, and now God gives it back. Why? Because David trusts God's tactical plan. David didn't just say, well, you know, militarily, I've done this before. Let's go through the motions. Come on, boys, let's go get them. David said, no, listen, God has a plan. God has a way. Uh, We're going to do it God's way. So God said, okay, I don't want you to fight. I want you to get a compass. I want you to go over where those mulberry trees are. And when you see movement in the top of the trees, I want you to chase the army and then I'll kill them. What do you think that was moving in the top of the mulberry trees? What do you think that was? Bible doesn't say, but can I tell you what I think it was? I think it was the Spirit of God moving. And I think they followed the Spirit of God moving. And, and God caused a great victory, not because David did anything, but simply trust and obey. He trusted the timing of God, and he obeyed the timing of God. Again, from back in my uh, uh, introduction, you cannot claim that you trust God if you do not know how to wait on God. Waiting on God is a big part of trusting God. All right, let's finish the sermon this evening with a verse that most all of us in here are familiar with. Isaiah 40, verse 31. Can you open your Bibles there if you don't have it memorized? Isaiah 40, verse 31. If you're just familiar, go ahead and turn there. If you know it word for word, and you know you know it word for word, then in a minute you can quote it with me. We're all either going to read it or quote it. Here in just a moment, alright? And I want us to notice the phrase in the verse, Wait upon the Lord. The importance and value of this. Everybody there? Here we go, ready? But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. When we do the Christian life outside of God's timing, we're going to fall on our face and we're going to fail. When we do the Christian life within God's timing and we wait on the Lord, then He renews our strength. Then we mount it with wings as eagles. Then we run and we're not weary. Then we walk and we don't faint. It's all about God's timing. It's all about trusting the heart of God. Why was David called a man after God's own heart? Listen, I'm going to finish with this. I need your attention for just 30 seconds. Why was God, David called a man after God's own heart? One of the reasons is that David knew that God had his best will in mind. And David trusted the heart of God and the timing of God. You want to be a man or woman after God's own heart? Learn to trust God's perfect time. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this evening. David received the kingdom when God was ready for David to receive the kingdom. David did not push and shove and force doors open. David said, God, when it's your time, I'll take it. When it's your time, I'll do it. I'm not going to force my way into a relationship. I'm not going to force my way into a position. I'm going to wait on you. I wonder how many of you here this evening are trying to force your way into something, and God's saying, not yet. Not yet. Just wait. Wait on me. I know what I'm doing. I know what's best. Lord, help us tonight to take what we've heard And personally apply it. Or God, show us, help us to trust you and trust your heart. Knowing that your heart knows what's best for us. Our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. On a profound level that we don't even know. And God, help us to trust your heart and trust your timing. Sometimes waiting is the hardest command to obey. Help us to do that. Lord, in your time, would you reward us as we're faithful to you in Jesus' name.